Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. So welcome back to Gay With God. I'm so glad you guys are back. Um, I have a wonderful guest today. So let me tell you a little bit about Mike. Mike Rickard is a singer-songwriter who calls Atlanta, Georgia home. Mike grew up in church, went to a private Christian school from kindergarten until graduation, and went to Bible college, sang contemporary Christian music, then came out. After coming out, he attended church for several months, but it ultimately stepped away because the messages he was hearing didn't resonate or accept him for who he was all along. He also stopped singing for several years, thinking, what do I have to sing about? Turns out, a lot. And that's when he began writing music to tell his story. Through all of the changes in life, music has been constant, whether listening, writing, or performing. Mike says, it has given me so many wonderful moments and maybe even helped save my life. Music can make us laugh, cry, dance, escape, deal with the issues in our lives. And if I do it right, I will hopefully help you do these things depending on the day and the song. Mike has released three full-length records and one remix extended play. His latest, Out Loud, was released in 2018. He is married to his husband, Eric. They met in 2000 and married in early 2020. Their kids are four-legged cats and dogs, and they have been much loved throughout the years. So as we go through, I want you guys to know that the links for Mike's music, his awesome merch, his social media, and an amazing video, Six Queer Kids, that we're going to talk about today, will be listed on the Podbean show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Mike, my buddy, my college buddy, welcome That's to right. the podcast. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Glad to be here. So glad to see you again. So yeah, back in the day, we wound up at the same Christian Bible college and neither one of us, well, you might've known you were gay. I didn't know you were gay. And I certainly didn't know I was gay because I came out so late in life. So Welcome to the show, and thank you, thank you, thank you for coming and being a part of this really important discussion for others who may also have thought suicide because they didn't know how to blend their faith with their, you know, with their authentic self. So, you know, when I read your bio, Mike, I thought, wow, you know, so much of a chunk of time you and I both spent in the church. You were doing a lot of ministry in the church. I was raised in the church, and we identified as Christian, I would assume both of us did. And then we started to learn about ourselves and, and you probably sooner than me, although you can tell your own story. So, so when did you know that you were gay? Well, um, I do believe I probably always knew mm. before I actually knew. Uh, I think, you know, at some point you can just tell things are a little bit different. Uh, and I think particularly when you start hitting puberty and you see all of your friends starting to be interested in girls and you're maybe kind of interested in your friends a little bit. Uh, 
I, I think that's one thing. Uh, and I, I also believe as I've gotten older and, and really started looking at my life and, and how um, everything came and, and knowing that that was always kind of there, I definitely believe that we are born uh, with the sexual orientation that we have and that mm-hmm. it's not a choice. And, and as far as I'm concerned, the only choice I made was, was I going to be in the closet or was I going to live a full an authentic and genuine life. That's, Absolutely. that's really what I feel like the only choice was that I made in that mm-hmm. respect. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I feel the same way that once, once I realized what was happening and, and it really did take me a long time, but there was no way, there was no way not to own it. And, and I, I literally went into a therapist's office and said, I'm here to figure out if I'm gay, but if I'm gay, I know that I'm going to go to hell and I'm not going to wait. I will be suicidal at that point, but I'm not going to, I'm not suicidal now. So you can't commit me. I just, you know, but it's, I didn't know. I mean, I was, I was taught so much that, you know, there was, there was no way to be both. And I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. You know, I was going to have to make a decision. So, so yeah. So when was that when you, when you start, started really, even though you maybe always knew, when do you think you owned it? Oh, that's that was definitely a process. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll kind of back go back and give a little bit of detail. So yeah, I uh, went to um, Christian school from the time mm-hmm. I was in kindergarten, um, all the same school all the way through wow. elementary, middle, high school. Uh, I actually, uh, and then of course I was in church three times a week, and then extra if I needed to be there for you know extra mm-hmm. uh, music rehearsals or things like that. Uh, then I decided to go to um, uh, the Bible college where I, I met you. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think, uh, you know, the interesting thing about thinking uh, about that is always those feelings were kind of there. But, you know, having that such a part of my life, my whole goal was to, I guess, in a, in a way, suppress it, deny it, try mm-hmm. to be uh you know, emulate what we grew up hearing was the way we were supposed to be, the way we were supposed to live our lives. And so mm-hmm. I was fully trying to go down that path. So I think there was a level of um, maybe it was there in the background, but not one that I was really willing to um, very much even really let cross my mind very much, much less verbalize it. Because, you know, sometimes when you say something, it becomes <laughs> re- real at that point. Yeah. So, um, so I think that was. Um, you know, always kind of there, but, but still in the back of my mind, you know, one thing I, I also want to mention is uh, not, not to brag or anything, but I had uh, the reason I went to, to the college that I did is uh, one of the uh, people on the board of regents w- took me up for the uh, meeting in May, the board of regents meeting in May. And that's when I first visited the school and fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then at uh, camp that summer, I met the guy who became my roommate. We became very good friends and, you know, we, we decided we wanted to room together. So to me, uh, going to uh, Christian school was, was again, a way of uh, trying to keep myself w- where, where I thought I should be. And because mm-hmm. I'd gone to a Christian school my whole life, I never had that um, experience of like going to public school, right. you know, having that life and then having like a church life, everything around it was sort of uh, woven together for, right. 
mm-hmm. you know, so I, I just always kept it. Now, when I got into, you know, to be a little bit older, my, my upper teens or you know, things like that, I did have some experiences, you know, encounters. Um, that certainly wasn't me being out because I remember after every time something like that would happen, there'd be pleading and begging, oh, please, it'll never happen again. Please forgive me. And, and you know, just this sort of gnashing of your teeth mm-hmm. because you just, you, you can't accept it. You, you don't want to forgive yourself for it, but you want so much to be forgiven. We were taught to be so shameful. You know, we really were. It was like this fear-based um dogma that we were taught and and some people will say well that you know you feeling really bad was god speaking to you and telling you to repent i think it was our interpreted shame based on all the messages that we've had throughout the years and that we were never taught to give ourselves grace and to be who we were we were born to be so i you know i I so hurt for people now that in looking back, we were all in that space of such shame and, and feeling so guilty for just exploring who we were. And you don't guilt heterosexual teens for exploring, you you know, that's just, Oh, he's just being a good old boy or, you know, that, you know, kids will explore that kind of thing. But when it comes to the, the horrific uh, bigotry of the, of the Christian philosophy, it it gives us shame. And I don't know how any of us survive it, you know, and that is the main focus of this podcast is to give people the message that you can survive it. And that we are all here on the other side, telling the story that we came through it and you might not do it the way we did it. um, But you can do it. And it's so much better you know, on the other side. So through all that struggle, what, what were the messages you received from your family about homosexuality? Was there ever a discussion or was it still part of um, the way the church taught? So the interesting thing was really no one in my family went to church except for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They, they sent me to Christian school and then I started going to, you know, going to church on my own. And particularly Mm -hmm. when I got old enough to drive, you know, I was, I was going, so there really was never any sort of messaging or Mm -hmm. anything like that from, from my family. It pretty much was, you know, what you heard in church. Uh, And, and I will say in school, you know, I I think the other thing we, we, many of us have probably experienced is, um, you know, when I told you earlier, I I, I knew I felt, you know, probably a little bit differently. And I don't think I demonstrated that, but, you know, I was a very sensitive kid, you know, Mm -hmm. I was maybe a little bit smaller and I didn't play sports very much and stuff like that. But the other kids, even at Christian school, they zeroed in on that. Uh-huh. And while I wasn't necessarily physically bullied, I definitely experienced my own uh, bit of bullying and, mm-hmm. you know, was called gay before I even knew what that word meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's it's kind of interesting, mm-hmm. uh, even in that Christian, quote unquote, environment, that shame, that mm-hmm you know, thing can, can come not only from pastors, teachers, whatever, but your peers. Yeah. Well, it trickles down, you know, kids will, will taunt based on what their, their family believes and they just kind of, you know, kind of put it out there. 
you know, that that's an, <laughs> I just find that so funny that of all the people in your family, you're the one that went to church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Christian gay boy you are. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I know. Now that's on my, my family on my, um, my mom's side, on my dad's side, they were all up in uh, Evansville, Indiana. And I did have some, my grandmother was very religious and, um, uh, you know, some of my aunts, uh, you know, whatever. And, and so church was a regular part. Like if I went and mm-hmm. spent the summers up there, but mm-hmm. as far as like the folks that I was with pretty much year round, yeah, um, I was the one going to church. Wow. So- <laughs> uh, I, I actually even had, had a, a nickname of, uh, uh, little Billy Graham, I think. I think a couple of my family members call me that. Wow, wow. Well, yeah. you, you maybe not Billy Graham, but um, you can be a minister now. <laughs> we couldn't back in the day, but <laughs> you can yeah. be one now. Um, so when you did come out, did it affect? Was your grandmother still alive when you came out? Have you have you been out to your family or? So I want to talk about the about coming out because it yeah. truly wasn't just a decision; it was a process, mm-hmm. um, it, and it took years. So I will tell you now: okay. I was thirty when I came out, and Me I, too. <laughs> I and you know the interesting thing is like now sometimes when I look at kids today um, who know and they have that confidence to publicly state mm-hmm. it or and, and be who they are, you know. I, I'm sort of envious at the time that they get that I wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when we talk about six queer kids, I, I do want to talk about that and and you know a little bit about ca- caution when it comes to you know to some of that. But I I do feel uh, you know 30 when I look back, you know that was my time. That was my my story, my journey. Um, and I want to say right off the bat that. Um, this is my story is not a woe is me story. I certainly had my experiences, but I am a happy man. I'm a very (laughs) blessed and lucky man. So I have, uh, you know, my life is what it is, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's my story and I own it fully. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm happy, you know, and I, I think that's what our ultimate goal is to take all the messages that we receive through life, not just in church, but everywhere Mm -hmm. process it. What makes sense? How do I, you know, and then what kind of person do I want to be? What are my goals? What are my values? And I think uh, when you understand that and you can live that authentic life, then mm-hmm. then I think that does bring joy and happiness. I agree. But so for me, like I, like I mentioned before, there were, you know, some random encounters and things like that. Some were friends and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, the whole uh, slingshot of being uh, guilty uh, begging for forgiveness, it'll never happen again. And then it happens again, you know, mm-hmm. so there's that. Um, and then when I started getting a little bit older and I started living on my own, that's when I really started being able to, or, or feeling like I wanted to explore a little bit, not come out, but just start exploring a little mm-hmm. bit, um, mm-hmm. and, and seeing what it was like. And I remember, um, trying to go to, uh, a gay bar for the first time or two <laughs> uh, and literally going and sitting in the parking lot for 20 or 30 minutes and just, mm-hmm. and trying to get the nerve to get out of my car and go in and yeah. 
And many times I didn't, I'd go right back home <laughs> and, 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 you know, cause I just, I couldn't do it. I was scared. Like would, mm-hmm. would somebody see me that, that knew me or, you know, mm-hmm. what would it be like inside and all those kinds of sure. things. So eventually I did get the, the courage to, to do it. And, and also, um, in my young twenties, I, I got into a, uh, very uh, a relationship that was very unhealthy, and it lasted for several years. Um, it was a bit um, abusive, especially in the way of um, having someone tell you that if your if your friends and family really knew you, they wouldn't love you the way oh, I wow. do. You know that kind oh, of wow. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, that's another sort of message you're hearing that mm-hmm. you're not good enough that you're, mm-hmm. you know, something's wrong with you. And then when you're hearing that, you know, going to church every Sunday or Wednesday night and that kind of stuff and hearing that same sort of message, you know, it really resonates. And um, mm-hmm. so I remember being in that terrible relationship um, to the point I felt so bad about myself when I was around my family, when I was around and he tried to separate me from my friends and family too. Mm. Um, yeah. um, but when I um, was around my friends and family, me, the normal, very outgoing kind of uh, uh, extroverted guy became very kind of introverted. I didn't look people in the eye. I didn't talk very much, um, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, as part of during that whole time, I remember the pastor, my pastor found out. I got called into the pastor's office and, you know, given the talk, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to either stop this or we're going to call you in before the elders then call you in front of the church and, you know, kick you out of the church. And, you know, so that was part of my experience as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and, and I remember never once being asked how I felt, how I was, it was just, this is wrong. Here's what you're doing. Here's the steps you have to take or you're out of here. You know, so there was no compassion about your emotional well-being or your stability at that point. They wouldn't have known if you were suicidal or if you were depressed or no matter what, it was just clear cut right (laughs) and wrong. And that settles it. This is yes. You're in the wrong. You have to repent or these are the consequences. Yeah. Wow. And you said you would be kicked out of the church. Yeah. So the church held the church you went to held held such a a stance against homosexuality that you would be excommunicated from the church if you did not stop this behavior. That is correct. Wow. Wow. I mean, it it was a conservative evangelical church. And that's what I that's uh, even the the uh, school that I went to. It wasn't that uh, the Christian school. It wasn't that. church's school it was a different denomination but Mm -hmm. both of them had very similar beliefs and Mm -hmm. you know things like that so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so how did how were you doing at that point when that was going on emotionally how how did that impact you emotionally um well you know it's one it's it's never a good feeling to be called into the principal's office just in general (laughs) i I mean i always grew up wanting to be the good kid i i I mean i honestly was never a a problem child um in at home or in school i always wanted to be the good kid um so you know to have that message you know of course you 
you already carry enough guilt as it is. So yes. you, you, you never tell, you know, it's very hard to tell yourself like, I'm okay in this. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm, you walk away from that saying, I've got to repent. I'm in the wrong, you know, cause it's what you've grown up hearing. Um, but I will say what I ultimately decided to do is I left that church. Ah. I found another church. Um, and I was still active in the church always. I was, I was very active in the music programs. I was on stage pretty much every Sunday, you know, soloed a lot, you know, that kind of thing. So people knew who I was. Um, Mm. But what they didn't know was the real me, because I put, I just became a master at, at being friendly and nice and outgoing. But boy, did I put walls up around myself. You know, it, it was just sort of a self-defense mechanism. Um, and, and and I know you will probably relate to this as, as well as anyone who's listening to this, particularly if you come from an evangelical background. Anytime that there's going to be a sermon around homosexuality, there always felt like an extra bit of oomph, an extra bit of heat, yes. extra bit of, you know, fire in yep. that message. And, you know, I'm sitting there on the pew or sitting on stage uh, on the stage and thinking like, Oh my gosh, he knows about me. You know, this, you know, you know, he's talking directly to me and it wasn't because I necessarily um, accepted it. It's just, again, what we're, what we've been conditioned to believe and what Mm -hmm. we've heard our whole lives. You know, at some point, I think part of the whole growing up process is to take everything you've heard, everything that you've believed, and really start questioning it and saying, does this resonate with me? Is mm-hmm. the, does this feel uh, good? Does this feel, does it add value? Does it help? And then make the, make the decisions again on, on who you want to be, the life you want to live, what, what values you have. And, mm-hmm. and uh um, so yeah, I my whole my coming out process was um, at thirty. I made the decision to move to Atlanta. I'd I'd been visiting uh, Atlanta on weekends because my mom lived lived here a long time before I did, um, <clears throat> and that's where I met my first group of friends. I met them like rollerblading and you know mm-hmm. just hanging out, you know, being outside, and I saw these friends with these like great lives who were happy, who had great careers. And I was living in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, and, and, and so to me, it was a real quality of life issue at that point. And, mm-hmm. and where I was tired of wasting my life, tired of doing the same old thing and expecting and hoping for something different. Right. So I made the decision at 30 to move uh, to Atlanta. And that's to me when the world just kind of opened up at that point. Wow. So, and your parents and family still had no idea the facade was working so well that no one knew at that point still. So that's, uh, <laughs> so the funny thing, yeah. So, so the, the funny thing is I moved to Atlanta first. Okay. Um, and then all my friends that I met, they knew, <clears throat> and then I began to, to start telling people. Okay. Um, and now my mom, you know, she worked, she was a bartender. So, um, and she, uh, worked in Midtown and we lived in Midtown and and stuff. And so I guess the way I kind of told her is one night I was going to uh, a gay bar and I said, you want to go with me? And, uh, she said, yeah. And in our discussions, we had discovered that 
she knew one of the bartenders that worked at, at this <laughs> bar. So it just was sort of uh, a way to uh, to sort of tell her. And then uh, the, the funny thing is that night, I forget if it was a friend that I knew that I introduced to my mom or just my mom and I were talking and someone else started talking to us and, you know, like, this is my mom. And, and it was like, oh my gosh, how cool is that? That, you know, not only are you out to your mom and at that point, I still hadn't said those uh, three words. I am gay. Uh, but, you know, we're there in the bar together, hanging out. And um, so, so we were actually queer as folk before the British series of queer as folk even came out. So <laughs> Oh my gosh. So did you notice on your mom's face that she like, was that a shock when that person said that to you? She always knew. I mean, she, she always, always knew yeah. about me, I guess, even <laughs> though we hadn't talked about it at that point. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I will say too, um, my mom was, um, um, she's always a young looking, very, very attractive woman. And, um, you know, for her, you know, the, the gay guys just loved her, you know, and, and it, it, and it, so while she was very good with, with me in that point, it gave her some cool, some cool points um, uh -huh. as well. <laughs> she was, she was the, the, the group mom, you know, those free she, mom hugs, mamas, you know, she, she was the she, original. <laughs> she actually began working in that bar part-time too. Uh, as well as the, where she worked. Oh no, that was sometimes like, I remember one time, like, my my uh, bartender friend said um your mom was here last night and i'm like what and i'm like are we talking about the same woman he's like mike i know who your mom is and that <laughs> happened a few times before we happened to be at the bar at the same time but not together and i told her i'm like no this is my bar i was here first you gotta go find your own and then she ended up working there part-time so it was uh i don't want to do everything in front of you mom <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's just too much. <laughs> that is a great story. Mike. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. How do you how do you come out to your mom? Take her to a gay bar and just let her figure it out. <laughs> I love well, that. you know, I, I kind of knew that she would be cool with it. Well, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, you could read your mom. <laughs> that's funny. So <laughs> did anyone in your family have a, a difficult time with with your authentic self? Well, um, I'll talk about my dad. Um, yeah. They divorced when I was three and um, he was never really a big part of my life. He paid child support, but I never saw him very much. He, he I lived in Augusta. He lived in Atlanta. Just, he just is never really a part of my life. Um, and I remember when I was in college and it really started to make me feel like what I'd missed out on. So I remember mm -hmm. writing him a letter and just kind of putting it out there. Like, Hey, mm -hmm. I don't like the, I don't like the way you treated me. And, you know, mm -hmm. I yeah, forget everything I said. He didn't write back. Uh, and of course this was the days before email, cell yeah. phones, internet, all that. Yep. So, you know, letters or phone calls were the way to go. So he didn't write me back, but my stepmom did and she defended him and, you know, things like that. But um, we, we reconnected a little bit in my twenties, but he, when he suspected that I was gay, um, and that was the person that I was in that bad relationship that I mentioned, mm -hmm. it never had, never saw him or heard from him again. And even when I moved to Atlanta, um, I, I wrote, wrote him and said, you know, Hey, I've, uh, moved to Atlanta, you know, 
I'd love to see you, but you know, I know you've got your own lives and I've got my mind, I've got mine, but I would, if you'd like, I'd love to see you. Never heard from him. He, uh, he, he, uh, uh, the funny thing is, uh, his, uh, uh, his wife, my stepmom was a, a flight attendant for Delta. And I remember one of my, uh, friends here telling me that he ended up being on a flight with her. I guess, you know, they would, they would fly to get, you know, you have the same re- routes for about a month. And so uh-huh. I guess, and on one of those, uh, uh, the, one of the first flights he saw her name tag Rickard and said, uh, Oh, do you know Mike? And she's like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know him. Um, well then on a, another flight, she came up to him and said, you know, I, did not tell you the truth. I do know him. He's my stepson. Um, but, uh, you know, his, his dad doesn't, uh, you know, want to have a relationship with him. So I kind of can't, but, uh, is he gay? And she's like, well, you'll have to ask him that, you know, but it would have, you know, I wouldn't have cared if he had told her at that point, but, you know, he mm-hmm. just said, you know, well, that's your story to tell, but, you know, they suspected, he suspected and just, never uh, mm. communicated with me again. I always hoped that door would open. Yeah. Um, but he died about four years ago. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I tell myself, you know, he went to his grave, you know, knowing that he was going to die. He had cancer mm-hmm. um, and never wanted to reach out. And, and you know, when I, I guess, you know, when the family members told me that, uh, you know, he passed, you know, I, he didn't want me at his funeral, you know, anything like that. So I wouldn't have made a big deal. I wasn't going to try and intrude where I wasn't wanted anyway. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess part of my, uh, you know, what I think about sometimes is trying not to be uh, pissed off or angry at him about that, mm-hmm. but to, I guess, understand and forgive um, because, you know, there's nothing I can do about it now anyway, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a tough journey because that anger, you know, is, is just a response to being so deeply hurt. And, 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 and that that's how those gremlins can creep in that, you know, I'm deeply hurt. And that's another way to, to say that you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough because you're gay. I can't have a relationship with you. There's so much to unpack with that, but um, you're right that, that there's nothing you can do at this point. And what I always believed about my dad is that, you know, once you get to the other side, you do have enlightenment and, and there is, I, th- I think that he is more approachable to me now um, because I can have conversations with him <laughs> knowing that he probably now understands who I am and that he's got to be okay with it. Um, but that's, that's another whole, you know, like connected so do you, dead thing. Do you, <laughs> but do, you, do you actually have conversations with him? I do. Just kind of, I will. I mean, not, not, there are times that I'll say things like, well, um, because there's one ring that, um, and this is, now, this is just weird, but um, my dad found a ring in some kind of Kmart parking lot or somewhere in this parking lot. And he picked it up and it had these little fake diamonds and it was and it was gold. Well, he brought it home. And the first person he went to hand it to was my older sister. She's 13 months older than me. So he handed it to her because she was the oldest daughter. OK, fine. Well, she was skinny as Twiggy and it fell right off her finger. So the fat child got to have it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I got to wear it. And for all these years, I had kept that ring and forgot about it and would find it and then put it, you know, wouldn't throw it away and put it back. So now I have it in my jewelry box. And there are times that I will go to my jewelry box and it's like that ring jumps out at me. It's like, I've got to wear you today. And I'm like, okay, daddy, if you want to have a visit, that's fine. And I'll put the ring on and wear it. There are times that I'll, I'll say to him, well, you know, I'll ask him questions. Well, what do you think of me now? Or, you know, do you get it now? Or, and, and I've actually gone to uh, medium readings where I'm in a group of people and I'll sit there and, and not expect to be read and not asked to be read. And one day this lady says, um, so there's an adult male coming through, definitely a father figure. Uh, he's holding a basketball and bouncing it up and down. And he has this really weird haircut. I don't really know what to call it. It's kind of like up, but it's flat. And I went crew cut. And she goes, yeah, I think that's the name of it. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be my dad. <laughs> and so they're like, they were, now how would she, you know, she didn't know that. She didn't know my dad or had seen pictures of my father, but it's, there have been several times that I've gone to readings and my dad comes through for me. And the messages are always, you know, I'm sorry. I know you probably don't want me to, to come through tonight. Yeah. There's always this apology and this feeling of that. He's now not accepted by me. Um, that doesn't take away the pain of the things that happened, but it does give me hope that now that he's on the other side, that he has had a, an, an awakening in his heart and that he now is trying to let me know that, uh, he's sorry and that he, you know, still would like to have whatever relationship there is, which is, you know, very minimal at this point now when, cause I don't sit around talking to him every day, but it's yeah. nice to know that there's some sort of a, a little bit of a healing that may have taken place once he crossed over. And I've always told people when they say, well, oh, that's, that's dark arts. And, oh, how can, I'm like, listen, until you tell me who made God, don't tell me that you know everything about how this works. I mean, we have yeah. no idea how this yeah. all works, really. Um, yeah. So, so I hope that I think that for you too. That the, yeah. the thing that you were talking about about like feeling like your dad is enlightened now. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things, one of the biggest gifts that I have gotten from being a gay man and coming out as a gay man uh, is empathy. Mm -hmm. and compassion. Um, be mm -hmm. Because I think what I've learned from my own experience is I don't have to have the same experience as someone else to understand and have compassion and empathy. I, you know, like I remember sometime, one time somebody asked me, um, and I'm just going to use one as an example about how I felt about transgendered people. Now, this was before transgendered I mean, it was before RuPaul's Drag Race or any uh -huh, sort of representation uh -huh. or visibility there. Right. Um, and I remember saying, well, you know, that's never been my struggle. I don't understand what it's like to have that. I said, the only thing I can equate it to is like, if your mind feels one way mm -hmm. and your body feels completely different, being so out mm -hmm. of sync, I said, I can't imagine how hard that must be. And I said, but is, is any moments of bravery I've ever had for someone to be, uh, to choose to be transgendered and live their life that way, you know, openly mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. way braver than I am. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, but, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I, I think that's why in some respects, like, um, I'm glad that black lives matters is, is, is finally getting the uh, attention that it deserves. Yes. Um, because, 
I think if we're all if we were all just more caring and loving toward each other, mm-hmm. we would ju- it, we would have such a better world. So I, I just think it's one of the the things that I've uh, one of the gifts I feel like I've gotten from being uh, gay. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's true for for me as well that that I know what it feels like to be judged based on who I I am and being told that that I'm not good enough. And it's not something that I chose to be born into that I know of. You know, I didn't choose to be gay. It's like you said, we had to accept the fact that we're going to live authentically. We could have accepted the fact to stay hidden from ourselves and others, but we, we accepted the fact to be brave enough to live authentically and let things fall where they fall. Yeah. Yep. So, so I know that as a musician and as a creative artist, music had to have played a part in the process of coming out and, and telling your story. So, so how did your music assist you in, in that process of coming out? So the interesting thing is when I was growing up, I, I sang, sang Christian music my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never once sang a secular song in public. It was just a choice that I had made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never would enter like singing competitions or anything like that. It was just always in church. It was always Christian music or contemporary Christian music. Um, and then when I ha- when I came out, I tried to go to church for several months um, here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time going to a really big, well-known Baptist church that I'd read books by the author, been, you know, seen it on TV, visited. And I remember pulling into a parking space with a friend of mine, and then somebody yelled at me in the parking lot thinking I cut him off, which I didn't. I'm like, well, that's a great way to visit, you know, welcome someone to the church, you know. And don't Um, sit in their pew either. (laughs) uh, (laughs) And then, you know, I I attended church, you know, but I, I, again, I, I think the thing I walked away feeling is that here I am hearing these messages of, you know, either judgment or, or one of the things that, you know, we, we often would hear so often is that we're sinners. There's nothing good Mm -hmm. in us except for Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. and the fact that Jesus loves us. And, you know, that, that takes a toll after a while, but then, you know, part of my whole coming out process too. And I think you and probably uh, other listeners can relate to is it was a process to make that decision, but but you go through this whole thing of where you either don't like yourself, maybe you hate yourself because you feel sinful, you feel less mm-hmm. than. Mm-hmm. It's those messages that you hear for so long. Mm-hmm. Then you start going to the point where I want to accept myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be able to tolerate myself, and I hate that word tolerate. I, I do really too. do. I think it's, don't it's a terrible me. word. That's yeah. right. Accept me. Don't tolerate me. Mm-hmm. That's right. Then. Uh, you know, it's that point of getting to where you like yourself mm-hmm. and then to that point where you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, so that was a process to get there. So me trying to go through that process of really getting to lo- learning to love myself and then hearing these other messages, it just felt like if I continue to subject myself to this, that's, that's dysfunction. And that's what I'm trying to walk away from. So, mm-hmm. um, so because music had been such a big part of my life, as far as me singing, uh, singing it, I didn't sing for years. Mm. I, I, it was years that I, I didn't sing. Cause I'm like, well, what do I have to sing about? I, mm. you know, everything I sang about, I've kind of turned my back on yeah. talk about an identity crisis. Yes. You know? uh, it's like, 
you know, and that's the thing too. Change, even good change, creates uh, can create discomfort and sadness because you know I was leaving behind a huge part of who I'd always been, a huge part of my identity. identity Yeah, to accept you know who I you know really was. So I hadn't. I felt like I had nothing to sing about. So I didn't sing for years. Mm. So at some point, I remember. I really got to that, that music, you know, when you love something like that, you can't just walk away from it forever. So it was, mm-hmm. it was there. It was like, I've got to do something. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to write, I'm going to try and write my own music. And I never tried, um, you know, really to, to do, I'm sorry, my phone, let me, let me stop it. <laughs> That's um, a segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, 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 um, started learning how to write songs and probably wrote a a bunch of really crappy things before I wrote one semi-crappy thing and thought, Hey, I'm onto something here. (laughs) Um, so then I, I, I did start writing and, uh, and and I'd set a goal that I was going to put out an album uh, and it was going to be original music. And at first I thought, well, I'll just write the lyrics and I'll have to get someone else to, to write the music for me. But I, you know, was able, I was good enough of coming up with melodies and sitting out at first with a piano and figuring out the the chord progressions and stuff like that. And then um, I started taking guitar at the same time and um, became fairly proficient. You know, there's so many more people, so many people who are better at a guitar than I am, but um, I'm, it's how I write now, but I started writing my songs and I felt what, what felt different is I wasn't singing about God. I was singing about my journey. And so the, the first album was called stirred, not shaken. And, um, you know, of course that was a play on words from the, you know, the James Bond shaken, not stirred. (laughs) Um, but, um, so even though it was, there's not a song called stirred, not shaken, but there's a song called who I am. And that, so whenever I would, kind of write I would I would have these song ideas like it could be just like a a little phrase or something and Mm -hmm. I would just keep keep, I would write them down and review them and stuff like that and um one night I was in bed and this idea of who I am and and that that is many things it's about how inconsistent and imperfect I can be it's also about trying to accept who I was all of those sorts of things so I was in bed trying to go to sleep. And then it's just like, I had this moment, like, oh my gosh, I started, you know, started having words come into my mind. And I'm like, I have a, two, I have a choice right now. I can either try to go to sleep or I can get up and, <laughs> and, and not quench this, but, you know, let it come out. And I, you know, some songs I, I'll write them. I may have uh, parts where I, I struggle for a few lines or things like this. I ended up writing it like super, super quick, uh, quickly and had to then take out parts because it just flowed so much. But it was about um, the chorus says, and I've lied, I've cried, I've prayed, denied, I've tried to be a better man, but I won't give it up till I lay me down. I'll spot, but I'll smile and say, anyhow, that's just who I am. Um, mm. and, 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 you know, I, I talk about the church in it um, and just talking about how, um, how how it can be just a double-edged sword you know the messages that you hear um you can either brandish the knife or you can be on the 
the receiving end of the knife. And the bridge of the song says, so here's to all the therapy I guess I should have taken. If I had to sum it up, I've been stirred, but I'm not shaken. Ah, and, there you go. Um, <laughs> and so th- that is a song um, that has probably resonated with more of my fans than probably almost any song. Um, and I remember showing it to um, my gu- my guitar coach and uh, he's like, wow, this is really brave. And uh, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I'm ready for it. But, but you know, the, I think the musical treatment does it, is important and so on this one I wanted to go full like Madonna like a prayer kind of Uh thing with a a grungy guitar starting and then there's like later on in the song all kind of like gospel vocals and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so uh, you know again kind of referencing back to my church background in some respects but telling the story my story my way and uh, uh, well let's let's hear a, a sample of that There was nothing good in me Except the blood of Jesus But wasn't he the one who made me? I looked for love inside the church Found it came at quite a cost And I learned the truth without compassion Is a double-edged sword And I've lied, I've cried I've prayed tonight I've tried to be a better man Did I lay me down? But I'll smile and say, anyhow, that's just who I am. I love that song. I absolutely love that song. And I, I'm so proud of you for, for taking that journey and putting it out there like that. That's, that is bold. And I know it's therapeutic, too. I know it's therapeutic. So, yeah, you. Yeah, you. You know, I, I, I will say, um, <clears throat> I've... Uh, probably worked out a fair amount of my crap writing songs <laughs> <laughs> so this is how you got it people you got to be songwriters get that, work out that crap. <laughs> well i well I, I will say this um whether it's songwriting whether it's painting whether it's any kind of writing whatever mm-hmm. I, creativity i think you can take your feelings and express them creatively Absolutely. and when you do there's healing there's mm-hmm. Um, that you know, just the letting go. Yes, you know? yes, <clears throat> yes. I agree. I agree. So, so let's talk really quickly about um, the video. Six queer kids. That I loved the video. I've seen it. I love the song. Tell me where that fits in with your journey. Yeah. So that's on my third album, Out Loud, and my music has kind of progressed over. Uh, over the years. The first album was really all about, as you say, a lot of years that got me to the point of where I was. It's kind of my coming out album. Um, Lots of introspection, more singer-songwriter. The second album is called Sweat, and that's all about living in the moment, lots of joy, lots of happiness, and things like that. And it probably has a more aggressive sound. The third album is called Out Loud. And Um, and part of that is, uh, saying things out loud, 
you know, maybe that I've thought never said out loud. <laughs> and so there's some moments of, of that in, in the album. But um, it's also me looking more outward and, mm. and there's much more of a social sort of political feel on so, a, a few of the songs, <clears throat> including that one. Now, I read an article in Rolling Stone um, before I wrote that song and it's called, it's about forgotten kids. Mm. And um, basically uh, what it is, is uh, while kids make up, uh, you know, LGBT kids may make up a certain percentage of the total youth population, Mm -hmm. but they make up a a large proportion of the homeless youth Mm -hmm. population. Mm -hmm. And um, when I read that, um, and particularly if kids come from a um, really religious family, then there's more preponderance that they may get kicked out of their house. Absolutely. Or, I mean, so one of the things uh, I'll ask you a trivia question and see if you know. Uh oh. <laughs> Do you know one of the biggest things that brought about <clears throat> awareness and acceptance of LGBTQ uh, people? <clears throat> well, I would think it would be um, the Stonewall. Stonewall. Actually, it's much more recent and it's much more um, innocent, quote unquote, will and grace. Ah, yes. (laughs) So so, so there was, you know, there was there were articles written that that one show had such a huge. Yes. uh, A huge thing to do around awareness and acceptance of gay people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, the, the 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 bad thing is, as and now almost every show that we're represented in some, some way, uh, mm-hmm. and usually in a good way. And, and yeah, and not so, the killers and the pedophiles. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, well, we've, we've been those before. Too. That's what you I'm know, saying. We've, we've, we've come them. from yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, it's been a journey, so there's a lot mm-hmm. more awareness, but one of the unintended uh, collateral of LGBTQ awareness and acceptance kids are coming out sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, They Mm -hmm. have that confidence, you know, what I talked about earlier. And so, um, and so when you, when I began understanding, like if, when they, when they go home, when they become homeless, you know, they're, they're scrounging for food, they may have to resort to prostitution or couch surfing for a place. Drugs can enter the picture. Yeah. It was just like a gut punch. And so I'd not, I'd not written uh, for a little while, and I had to get that song out. And mm-hmm. uh, when I first wrote it, um, it was not a very happy song at all. Um, and when I when I shared it with the guy that ended up producing my album, he he was just like, "Well, the the song isn't ready yet, in my opinion." Which he, we sort of knew each other, but he was very brave in telling me that. Mm-hmm. I, I because he said, you know, for a song, he said to to really this song to be really effective. He said, I think it needs two things. He said, it needs an element of hope. And right now it doesn't. And he said, the other thing it needs is a call to action. So, so I literally went back and rewrote the song. Wow. And it became the story about James, um, who was a kind of a model kid in so many ways, but he came out and got kicked out and, and kind of what his life 
the mm-hmm. king. Mm-hmm. And but the the title six queer kids comes comes from the statistic that every day in the U.S. six queer kids die homeless oh, because they've been kicked out of their house. And mm-hmm. so that was my way of writing the song to to hopefully help raise awareness. Um, Beautiful about a problem that a lot of people probably don't know even exists. Yeah. So let's let's hear a, a sample of that song. James is kicked out of his house today Like taking out the trash and throwing it away Good at sports, straight A is the class president But he committed the ultimate sin They found out that he loved another boy And you know you just can't pray that away He's got a duffel bag filled with some clothes That's all he could take So it's all that he owns He's digging through trash to find something to eat He cowers on the ground and tries to fall That's a very powerful song. Very powerful. And, and guys, when you go to the link that I'll share in the, on the show page, you can go to Mike's website and you can find, like I said before, all of his music in his merch and you can see the, the video of six queer kids. It's really worth a, a look. You need to see this video and the, you need to hear the whole song. The whole song, you know, is a journey. And 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 what I really loved doing was just going and and hearing all the snippets of all the songs. I mean, I didn't hear the whole <laughs> full play album, but I will. <laughs> I will because I, I'm just so drawn to Mike's music. Not because you know I know him and I've known him, but because it's good music. It's really good music, and and it takes you on that journey, especially when you know what you're listening to. And I think that all of us will find a piece of ourselves in his lyrics and what he's done. Um, so so Mike, so now you've you've created a life. You've uh, you've created your authentic life. What what else? Um, I, I have a final question that I asked all of my guests, but what else is on on your heart to say before we finish today? Um, I want to talk about the real quickly the the video for six. Quick sure, kids. sure. Um, so when I was looking for someone to do the video, um, th- these folks were recommended to me. They're called Protatura Frame uh, and the Protatura like. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they spoke Portuguese. So English was very much a second language, but I'd seen a video that they had been, uh, you know, video or two that they had done. So I sent them <clears throat> this song. And when we met to, um, 
to talk about the potential treatment for the video, um, again, English was their second language and they explained kind of what they wanted to do, which was totally different in a way than what I had, you know, pictured, Imagine. which is why you bring someone else who has the skill to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, they explained it to me. And then when they left and then I was got in the car and I was driving to continue recording for, uh, recording songs on on the album out loud I just started crying because Mm. I thought they get it they get Mm. it because they told me several times how much they loved that song and so when they did when we actually did the video um and I saw what they put together I cried because Mm. I just thought they so captured that in such a beautiful way Mm -hmm. um and they just they treated it with such kindness and love. I, mm-hmm. oh, they're, they're wonderful folks. I love what mm-hmm. they did. So mm-hmm. thank you for, for giving us the rest of that story. That's, and, and I can see it in, in the video when I've watched the video, it's, I mean, it, it was beautifully done. I, I was really impressed. So, so one of the things I wanted to ask before we go to the final question is that um, where would you say you are on your faith journey at this point in your life? Um, that's a good question. And it's one that, uh, one of the comments that I was going to say earlier, earlier, uh, or later, when you, when Mm -hmm. we talk about sharing, uh, sharing advice for someone who may be Mm -hmm. struggling, one of them is Mm -hmm. that we're, it's always a journey. Our Mm -hmm. journey never stops until it stops. And I'm frankly, I'm still kind of in that journey. Um, Mm -hmm. I visited several other churches, um, ones that I know are, are more accepting, Mm-hmm. Um, and who are open. Mm-hmm. I have not made going to church a regular part of my life. I, I think that's something I still have a lot of, yeah. you know, it's kind of hard to to let go of, of what mm-hmm. I have felt there. Um, mm-hmm. I would say where I'm at is I, I feel like I'm very much a spiritual person um, as far as thinking about my life, the influence that I have on other people. Um, and the surroundings and always wanting to, um, be authentic, be a good person, give, um, and I pray, um, and I, more than I pray for myself, um, and I I don't pray, I would say a lot uh, or tons, but I do communicate, but most of when I, Mm -hmm. when I do pray, it's for other people, particularly Mm -hmm. when I know that they're hurting and they're in need. And, there is a song on my first album that closes the album out called as if to say, and I think the thing that was kind of cool or why I wanted to do that song is, you know, a lot of church is about what we hear. And I wanted to talk about action, you know? And so the whole thing as if to say is like, let me live my life as if to say, so where the way I live my life is, is, the words actions mm-hmm. speak louder than words, you know, kind mm-hmm. of say, and the very, and so that song starts uh, off is dear God, it's been a while since we've talked, you know, mm-hmm. and any kind of thing like that. But the last line of the song is let me live my life as if to say, thanks. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, so I, I would say where I'm at in my faith journey is uh, I, I'm still struggling with, mm-hmm. with some of the more, uh, organized religion part of it, Mm -hmm. but I, I do believe in uh, a higher power. I do believe in faith. Um, Mm -hmm. I also believe that, um, part of my goal and hopefully responsibility is whatever 
things are thrown my way to deal with them in a a good positive way and um, to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful, beautifully said. So, what would be your advice to someone who is struggling? What would be one thing that you wish someone could have said to you during the years that it was so painful and you were struggling? Well, I've got more than one, but okay, well, go ahead. But so the first, <laughs> I, when when the it's get when the it gets better movement came out, mm-hmm. that really resonated with me because in my own life, you know, I'd been through it and I got mm-hmm. to the other side, and mm-hmm. so I think raising that awareness that, you know, you may be through something going through a lot right now, mm-hmm. but it gets, it will get better. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there are ways you can do that. And I think the first thing is try to find a core group of trustworthy friends, people that you can be your authentic self, people who will, uh, you can laugh with people who will accept you, love you um, and help. Uh, if you're youth, um, I I would say if it's possible, look to see if there's like a youth house or a hangout spot for LGBTQ youth in in many Mm -hmm. cities, particularly some of the larger ones, there Mm -hmm. are houses. And and so one of the things, not not that I want to just drive people to my website, but one of the things that was important to me when I put out Six Queer Kids in this album, I have a page dedicated to resources for LGBTQ youth. So I have them listed where I know they exist internationally and in the U.S. Um, so that's there for anyone looking for, you know, hopefully local or national resources of where, where they can get help. Um, I would say, um, and this is another one where I kind of talked about caution. If you are, if you know you're gay and you come from a really, a really religious home and you don't know how your folks might react, perhaps you might not want to come out to them until you're in a position where you don't need to depend on them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the last thing I would like us to end the story of six queer kids. Yes. Um, And and I don't, so I would just say, try to potentially use um, some caution there. If it's, if, if you can, Mm -hmm. Um, I would say also, um, realizing that there's a lot of things, you know, I think we always want to control things. Um, but there's a lot in life that we can't control. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the things we can control is to, to, again, be ourselves and that we can control our, you know, our decisions sometimes, and we can certainly Mm -hmm. control learn to control how we react to, to Mm -hmm. what's going on. And I, I, I'm a big believer that, um, you, you've probably heard the term self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yes. It's like, if it, it's like me as a bowler, you know, I, I bowl, you know, and I, sometimes I'm like, if I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to bowl really good tonight. I will. And some nights I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I don't feel like I'm going to bowl good tonight. You know, I'm not. So I do mm-hmm. think like if to, to try and maintain positivity and, 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 and learn from, from life and, and roll with the punches. And, and, and I think the final thing is therapy can be a very good thing and a very mm-hmm. positive thing. If you feel like you need it, if you're dealing with depression, if mm-hmm. you're, if you can't accept yourself for who you are, mm-hmm. um, and you don't have any, anyone in, um, that, that will give you that reinforcement that you need. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the things I've learned from my music, like I live in Atlanta, you know, we've got over 7 million people in the metro area and a large gay 
population. I've heard from many of my fans who live in a town where they have not one gay friend, right. um, and, which is, I, I couldn't even imagine what mm-hmm. that's like. So mm-hmm. I would say, look for online resources or forums where you can make friends or, you know, mm-hmm. get some, get some resources and some tools. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wow. This was awesome. <laughs> so I want to thank you, Mike, for being willing to share your faith journey story and, and being so, so, um, open and honest about the journey and how, you know, it's not over and, and it's difficult and we all have different, different parts of that journey that we're on. So thank you so much for honoring us with your faith journey story. Thank you. You know, one of the, one of the things that as a musician, like when I decided to be a musician, one of the things was I was 100% determined that I was going to identify myself as an, an out gay artist. Mm-hmm. And when, when my first album came out, there weren't that many. This was probably before Will and Grace and all of that. So to me, visibility and representation is important. Um, so, and I kind of want to, I guess one of my goals is to leave it a little bit better than you found it. And so I would say my mother encouragement for anyone listening to this, who's in a good spot in life, if you have the ability to give back, if you have the ability to be visible and represent mm-hmm. um, where people can see you mm-hmm. do do it. Yeah. And that's, and that's why we're doing this podcast because I can, <laughs> and I'm going to be visible <laughs> so that those of you who still um, are in that dark spot that you can maybe see the light that my guests are putting out there and that we're generating so that you can follow the path. So thanks again. And I want to thank all of my listeners for keeping the podcast awake and alive and doing your little sharing and, and liking it and that kind of thing. And remember that if you want to hear more about my and, and go to his website. That's going to be on the empoweredmidge.podbeam.com show page. And you can see his, his picture. You can see <laughs> his website and the video and all that. And remember that, um, that you may not think that, that it's okay to be gay with God, but I can assure you that if you are authentically God, uh, <laughs> if you're authentically God, let me start that over. If you're authentically gay... <laughs> then the God of your understanding has always been in you. And so you have already been gay with God. Uh, That's right. I'm going to let, I'm going to let Mike play us out with that last song that he talked about, because I really want that to be the thing that ends this podcast today. And uh, so you will hear him play us out and then uh, stay tuned because I'm going to talk a little bit more about how you can be in the Gay With God community. And uh, one last announcement. I just want everyone to know that I have been invited to the Wild Goose Festival And the Wild Goose Festival is this amazing, eclectic group of amazing people who do performances, they do podcasting, they have speakers up there. And I'm going, I was asked to bring the Gay with God podcast to the Wild Goose Festival and do a live taping. Now you won't hear it live, uh, but I will be live at the festival in front of people and a guest to, um, to tape the Gay With God podcast and get it out there further for more people. Anyway, lots going on here at Gay With God. So stick around. We're going to let Mike play us out and then um, stay tuned for how you can be part of the Gay With God community.
It's not a time of crisis But the quiet of the night It's been a while since we've talked But I was hoping that we might There's not a lot that I could ask for there's not much that I need And if I asked for more Would you call it greed? But let me ask May my love for you increase May my thirst for truth never cease And in everything I do let me live as if to say I need you Let me give just because Let me love for the sake of love When it's all been said and done Let me live as if to say it was meant for more than one May my heart be kind and true To the one you gave me to When the time for words is past Let me live as if to say Love is all that lasts this is what I ask This is what I invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.